0: I'm Linda McHenry, host of the Writer's Voice podcast, and my guest today is Richard J. Cass, and we're going to talk about mystery and writing in Boston and a bunch of other things, but first I want to introduce him and his new book that's out in October, Sweetie Bogan Sorrow. Hi, Dick. Hey, how are you,
1: Linda? Nice to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Show us that
0: book cover. You want to see
1: the book cover? There it is. Oh, yeah. There you go. I have one of the world's best book cover designers. Really? Yeah, my publisher has a graphic designer in Colorado who's done the cover for all my books. She says she has a real gift for getting into the book and pulling the sense of it out into an image. If the people listening to the podcast get to look at some of the covers of the books, they'll see what I mean.
0: That's great because, as you know, we're always looking for good book cover artists, and not all of them do read the book or know what it's about. They want you to give them an outline. And
1: Yeah, no, she just does a terrific job.
0: That's great so you live in maine
1: i live in maine i'm in cape elizabeth
0: and you're from boston right
1: i grew up in boston okay right through my high school years went to the oldest public school in the nation Uh boston latin school all right i don't know that
0: might not be be a good thing to share okay (laughs) it is what it is right and it made you who you are i helped anyway so your books are set a lot in boston and you and i were chatting before and you use the setting and the political and the social climate a lot. Why don't you talk about that? Because I find this intensely fascinating.
1: Sure. You know, one of the things I think crime fiction does really well, or good crime fiction does, as well as tell a good story and, and get people involved in what's going on, sort of plot wise, uh, is comment on social and cultural issues. I think one of the things I think of. Right off the top of my head is Walter Mosley, who is somebody who started out writing uh, that series that was set in Los Angeles in the '50s, but very much from the point of view of a black man, mm-hmm. uh, very much mm-hmm. from, from the point of view of that social milieu. And so, to a certain extent, what I'm trying to do, and you know, Boston has a reputation for uh, what I would politely call balkanization. <laughs> I think the neighborhoods are very neighborhoody. And, you know, you live in one neighborhood and you go to one church in the parish and you, you know, you have this sort of thing. Uh, And so one of the things I'm trying to play with a little bit is uh, some of the social parts of being a Bostonian from certain neighborhoods.
0: So that must attract certain readers, you know, your local readers, the people who are from the neighborhood, they must really enjoy that. And I would imagine people from other cities, you must see that in other cities. Boston can't be the only city where they have that little cliquishness thing going on.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, if you read Laura Lipman's uh, Tess Monahan series, which is set in Baltimore, mm-hmm. uh, very much some of the same things. I think mean, you can pretty much go to any crime fiction series that's set in a city and you'll see that if it goes any deeper than just a, a, a roaring story. It will get into some of the social issues and some of the things that involve. And different cities have different, I would say, prime issues. Certainly Boston's, one of Boston's prime issues is probably race.
0: And so how do you see writing in a big city? How different is it for you from the perspective of research and from all the different things that you do, the setting, how you set it up? I would imagine that the way you approach it is a whole lot different than from a writer who writes rural or small town
1: yeah i think that's true i mean god bless google for one thing <laughs> <laughs> you know a lot of what i do is having lived in the city for so long i have a you know kind of a storehouse of memories and experiences and understandings of what goes on in different parts of the city and what different parts of the city look like you know in one sense it's easier for me because i can recall this and then i can go check to see if my memory is accurate mm-hmm. you know which is something mm-hmm. you don't want to rely on too much Um, The most interesting problem I have is timeline, because a lot of my memory, I mean, I haven't lived in the city probably for 20 years. So a lot of my memories uh, and and my images uh, can be dated. Yeah. I have to be sure that I'm not fabricating something that happened in 1985 that uh, just isn't there anymore.
0: Well, that's it. And that's the advantage of a rural town or a town that you make up.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of the interesting things with Boston, though, is that I make places up. You know, I've gone back and forth with people about this. Uh, there are some people who are very uh, protective of their cities yeah, and don't right. like the notion that a writer might make up an alleyway somewhere where there's no alleyway or or so forth. I find that particularly true with people from New York.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> but, uh, you know, I have no compunction about making up a, a street or a bar or, a, you know, a place like that because it's fiction.
0: Well, this is it, and this is why I tend to make up cities and towns that are near somewhere. For that reason, I was born in New York. And even though I was a little girl when we moved to Massachusetts, I know what you're talking about. Oh no, that's not exactly where that boulevard is. <laughs> or no, there's not a restaurant on the corner there. It's an appliance store.
1: Almost the only thing you can do worse is get a detail about a gun wrong. <laughs> I'll
0: remember, you remember. that.
1: <laughs> you will hear from people.
0: I will I will remember that. So. Another thing I think you mentioned with your books, is, if you want to talk about that, you have your series of books, and the two primary characters are from two different classes in the city, and I think that's another thing when you're writing books, you're writing from the perspective of the different characters. Uh, Tell me how you approach that.
1: Well, technically, there's kind of an interesting thing, because when I wrote the first book, as is true with most first books, I think, I had no idea what I was doing. So what I wound up with was uh two point of view characters, one in first person and one in third. And so the bar owner in my books is Elder Darrow, and he's an he's an alcoholic who decides to buy a bar, thinking that if he's around alcohol and people drinking all the time, he won't be as tempted as much. Okay. That's a pretty dubious proposition. The other point of view character is Dan Burton, who's a homicide detective for Boston Police. And he's the third person point of view. He comes from a blue collar background in Charlestown. Elder comes from uh, Louisburg square. If you know Boston at all, that's the top of the top.
0: Yeah.
1: Two point of views gave me a lot of leeway and I wish I could take credit for having thought of it, but I really sort of backed into it. And I've carried that through the five books so far. It's uh, it seems to be working well. It also gives the reader a good sense of like, boom, when we go to another character it's not easy to get confused.
0: Yeah, well, and I've heard, of course, if you listen to the advice people give, the advice is, oh, you either write in first person or third person. So you're not seeing any issues from your publisher, obviously, or they wouldn't have published your five books or your readers, as long as it's clear. I
1: haven't. And I, you know, I think there's, you know, we could go, we could talk about the rules all day long. Oh, yeah. You know, the the big rule is, can you keep the dream going? I mean, can you keep the... The story going without breaking it for the reader somehow, and I suppose there are readers for whom that could break the thread of the story. But I haven't run across it. Nobody has said anything to me about it, and I think.
0: Why did you pick Elder Darrow to be the first-person character and the detective to be the third person?
1: That would be um, that would be a great question if I had an answer.
0: You don't know don't, it. Just it just happened. No, I really don't. I
1: mean, that that just sort of it came out in the first draft of the first book that way. And I didn't really think about the fact that I had two points of view going on until I was well into the second book. And I said, oh, wait, this is not really like a lot of the books that I read.
0: Yeah, and, but, but, you know, that's what's unique to you. That's your voice. I don't know, maybe there's something going on with the immediacy of it. I know I myself find that I can get in deeper into point of view, or into perspective, writing first person. Mm-hmm. But if only one person's in first person there's a whole scope of things that they're not aware of. Exactly. And there's a lot of
1: stuff you can't do.
0: That's it. And if you're in third person, yeah, you can write from the point of view of several characters, so long as you don't do it in the same scene. And you can give your reader more information. But I mean, I see that both- You can't get as intimate. Right, right. I know Ed McBain, I think, used to do a really good job of getting into someone's point of view third person, but you don't see a whole lot of people who can do that. You know, and the, right. the different the yeah. different voices. Yeah, it's
1: At this point, I'm committed.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, obviously, I can't I
1: can't, I'm, I can't uncommit.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's working for you, and it's almost like two stories are being told at the same time, and they're weaving together.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So,
0: Sweetie Bogan's Sorrow coming out in October.
1: October 2nd very second. Very second. Very soon. Yeah.
0: And you can find that on rjcastbooks.com, and where else?
1: We will. You can buy it through the Encircled Pub's website. And uh, right now, actually, I've got galleys up on NetGalley. Okay. If people are interested okay. in looking at that, of course, going to have it uh, at all the local independent bookstores. Mm-hmm. The pandemic thing has been funny because I've been doing virtual signings where my friend Barb Kelly over here in Portland, she's been taking orders for my books and then coming and sitting in my front yard, and we'll drink some tea and I'll sign the books and. She'll take them back and then deliver them to the people that just bought them.
0: That's neat because a lot of people have talked about how they're doing different kinds of virtual signings, and that's a Mm -hmm. great way to not only get your books out there, but to help the local bookstores as well. Oh, yeah. That's really neat. A lot of people should consider that. We've
1: got four or five just wonderful independent bookstores in Portland, and I've been pushing them very hard. If you go to the website and click on a buy link there, you're not going to go to Amazon.
0: That's great. Well, thanks for visiting with me. I hope to see you here on the podcast again soon. That'd be great. Yep. Richard J. Cass with Sweetie Bogan Sorrow, rjcassbooks.com. Thank you. Thank you.